Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey, there's been a lot of studies that have been done over the years that talk about uh, the way you'd see yourself determines to a large degree uh, how you act and react in life. In other words, your self-perception, your self-worth tends to be a governing factor in your behavior, how how you act. In other words, if you see yourself, you know, as a loser, uh, you end up to a large degree acting like a loser. Uh, if you see yourself as a victim, uh, you tend to let other people victimize you. Uh, if you see yourself as one of those people who's just not uh, creative, then it tends to be that you don't come up with a lot of creative ideas. In other words, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You, you set yourself up. Well, the true, uh, it's also true on the other hand in the positive. In other words, if you see yourself as being you know, kind of an upbeat uh, person, you tend to be positive and upbeat. If you see, you see yourself as a successful person, you tend to be successful. Now, none of that is anything new. It's not a new discovery. In fact, thousands of years ago, the Bible basically said, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. In other words, the Bible clearly teaches that your beliefs, what you think, determines your behavior, how you act. You know, the the belief about yourself, now obviously that goes all the way back to your childhood, right? You know, you start developing that self-perception, that self-worth, and what you think about yourself through childhood. Now, unfortunately, a lot of those beliefs for many people are false. Uh, you're, you know, you remember um, as a kid uh, possibly going to visit uh, the fair or, uh, you know, the, uh, the carnival every year, uh, Carolina Fair, and, uh, you know, they have one of those fun houses. And you go into the fun house, and they got those uh, kind of crazy mirrors, those so fun uh, mirrors. And... Um, They're kind of warped, right? You look at them, and then how do you see yourself? You see yourself as either tall or skinny or big or fat. Now, it is a distorted image of yourself, right? Well, because we all grew up with imperfect parents, right? Imperfect parents and other imperfect people all around us, we just, you know, we all grew up with with parents who are sinners just like us. Well, we often then wind up with a somewhat distorted image of ourselves. Well, today, I want us to look at what does God say about you? I want us to look at our true identity, our true image. John 8, 32 says this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that's what I want us to see happen today. That's what I'm praying is going to happen today, that you and I are going to be set free from the truth by the truth of God's Word. Now, we're in this study here at Coastal on the book of First Peter called Hope in the Dark. And Peter is writing to discourage believers who are being persecuted, uh, fed to lions, hounded out of towns in the Roman Empire. And again, it would be quite the understatement to say that uh, they were having a rough time. And so here in chapter 2, Peter says, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. And in this, this season of great pain and great hardship, where you are tempted to think less of yourself and to become discouraged, you need to be reminded of what the Bible says about you, what what God says about you, the truth of of whose you are and who you are. And I believe that we need to be reminded of that very same thing today. 
So what is the truth? Who are you? Number one, in Christ, I am acceptable. I am acceptable. Now, most of us spend our entire lives trying to earn some sort of acceptance. You know, we try to earn it, you know, from our parents, our peers, our our partners in life, the people we respect, even the people we envy. You know, the drive to be accepted motivates us to do all kinds of things. It influences the kind of clothes that you're wearing, uh, the kind of car that you drive, the house that you buy, um, the, the career that you choose. Now, would you agree with me that people will do the craziest things to be accepted? You remember as a kid, you wanted so badly to be in the, you know, the in crowd that you were willing to do, you know, if, if somebody said to you, I dare you to do this, and you did that thing, and it, it didn't matter if it was stupid or a risk to your own personal safety, you did that thing because your desire to be accepted overruled your desire for personal safety. Why? Well, because we all love that feeling of, hey, I'm okay, I'm accepted, you know. Uh, Somebody has chosen me. You remember uh, playing sports as a kid. I don't know if people even do that anymore, sports in a neighborhood. I grew up in a neighborhood where people, you know, the the kids in the neighborhood gathered together in the field nearby, and uh, we, we picked up teams, right? We chose teams. And typically, the two best players would be the captains of those teams. They would be choosing up sides. And as they're choosing up sides, you know, you'd be sitting there going, man, I hope I get chosen by that captain or that team because it's obvious they're the winning team, right? They got the winners on that team. And if you got chosen by that team, remember how great you felt because you were chosen by, you know, the better player? Now, on the other hand, How many of you remember how bad you felt if it got down to the last, like, two or three players and you still weren't chosen? Now, that never happened to me, but no. Um, But you felt terrible, right? Because why? We love the feeling of being chosen, of being accepted. You know, one of the happiest days in my life is when my wife chose me and said yes to my uh, proposal of marriage. I mean, the fact is, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. My wife loves me. She chose me. And so when you're chosen, it does tremendous things for your self-esteem. Well, guess what? Peter has been reminding us already in this short little letter over and over again that God has chosen us. We talked about it the last couple of weeks, and here again in 1 Peter 2.9, listen to this. But you're not like that, for you are a what? What does he say? A chosen people. And he goes on to say some interesting things. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. The first thing he says, you're a chosen people. You've been chosen by God. Man, that ought to, no matter what you go through, that ought to raise your self-esteem. Christ has accepted you. And there's no condition listed there, by the way. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on something you do. God simply says, I choose you. Now, many of you here today or watching online, you have received Christ and and accepted him into your life as your personal Lord and Savior. But have you ever realized something? Jesus has accepted you. You don't have to earn that or prove yourself. You never have to think to yourself, man, I have got an unpleasable heavenly father. 
And I've got to be good. I've got to earn his acceptance. He's already accepted you. Psalm 27.10, in fact, says this. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Now, the sad fact is some of you did have unpleasable parents. And no matter what you did, it was never good enough, right? I mean, even think about grades in school. If you got C's, they wanted B's. If you got B's, they wanted A's. If you got A's, they wanted straight A's or high A's. You could just never, never feel like you could earn their acceptance. You could get their acceptance. And the tragedy is some of you even today are still trying to prove yourself to people and even to your own parents. You're still trying to to earn their acceptance. But listen to me. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter, and you're going to be okay because you have been accepted by your heavenly Father, by God Almighty. You're acceptable. Number two, in Christ, I'm also valuable. I am valuable. He says you're accepted, you're valuable. Let me ask you a question. How much do you think you're worth? You ever thought about that? How much are you worth? Now, I'm not talking about your, your net worth. I'm talking about your, your self-worth. Now, don't ever confuse your valuables with your value as a person. You can be rich or poor, but that's got nothing to do with your value as a person. Now, think about this. What determines value? What determines worth? Two things. First of all, it depends on what someone is willing to pay for something, what someone's willing to pay. How much is your house worth, for example? Now, not how much was it appraised for, but how much is it worth? Now, a good real estate agent will always tell you that your house is worth whatever somebody is what? Willing to pay for it. No more, no less. Which leads to the second determining factor in value. It depends on who owned it in the past. Who owned it in the past? You see, sometimes uh, ownership helps to determine value. For example, let me ask you this. How much do you think uh, one of my cars is worth? One of the cars that Pastor Chris drives. Now, for those of you who are in the know, uh, you know what I drive and how long I plan on driving those cars. Then you probably know that I'm going to have to get somebody to pay to take them away, okay? Eventually, We're just, that's just the way we are. Now, but let me ask you this. How much do you think I could get for one of those cars if they were previously owned by Dale Earnhardt Jr.? Elvis Presley, right? Might be worth something. Or how about this? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about golf, mentioned that. Uh, What about a golf club owned by Pastor Scott Huff? Okay, probably not worth very much, right? But what if that same golf club had been previously owned by Tiger Woods? You see, many times somebody who is famous owns something and then it gives additional value to a very common object. Now, think about it. Based on those two factors, what's your value? Okay, ask yourself, who owns me and what was paid for me? What did Peter say in verse nine? You are God's very own possession. God owns you. Now, what was paid for you? 1 Corinthians 7, 23. God paid a high price for you. So, don't be enslaved by the world. If you're taking notes this morning, circle the word paid there. Jesus paid for you with his life. He bought you back from the devil. God exchanged his one and only son for you. Don't you see? The cross 
the cross proves your value. Jesus said, I love you this much. And then he stretched out his arms and he died for you on the cross. And Jesus doesn't die for junk. You are so valuable that God exchanged his son for you. Imagine your worth. Anybody remember uh, the Taken movies by Liam Neeson? You know, starring Liam Neeson. Uh, The premise of the movies are pretty simple, right? Bad guys steal loved one of good guy who will do anything to get loved one back. Now, the twist in the movie is that the bad guys don't know that the good guy uh, is a former CIA special forces killer. You know, a love story. That's what I told my wife, you know? Um, Well, let me tell you about another love story, okay? Uh, An action thriller with a message where the bad guy gets it in the end. In fact, you today are a co-star and it's reality. You are a child of God. That's how much you are worth. And no father has ever gone to greater lengths to rescue you than God went to get you back. He allowed his one and only son, Jesus, to be crucified on the cross and pay the ransom price for your sin. That's how much you're worth. How much was paid for you? The cross. Nobody has ever paid a greater price than God paid for you. Don't you see today, no matter what happens, no matter what this world throws at you, you are acceptable, you are valuable, and if that doesn't send your self-worth skyrocketing, you need to check your pulse today. In fact, Peter uses another illustration here to illustrate just how great our value is. Look at verses four and five. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. He's basically saying God's got this special building project going on, and you get to be a part of it. He's building this this stone building that represents the church, the family of God, and you're one of the stones. Now, who does he say is the living cornerstone? It's Jesus. Now think about this for a second. Jesus was perfect, but even still the Bible says that some people rejected him. And some of you think, well, you know, man, if I could just be perfect, if I could just be better, then this person or these people might accept me. No. Listen, even Jesus was perfect, but he wasn't wasn't accepted by everyone. God is building his family. He's building his church. The foundation, the cornerstone of this spiritual building is Jesus. Now here in Charleston, in in hurricane territory, we know how valuable uh, a good, strong foundation is, right? So what we need to ask ourselves is this this morning. What foundation are you building your life on? I mean, listen, even in the hurricane, right? And maybe, you know, but that's what it feels like, 2020, right? Just been one massive ongoing hurricane. But even in the hurricane, in fact, that's even when it's most important to ask the question, what foundation are you building your life on? And Peter is saying, hey, you better make sure that your life is built on a solid foundation, and Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He is the chief 
cornerstone, the Bible says. He is the one who fits everything together. In fact, the cornerstone in those days set the actual angles and weight of that building. And so God is building this this building, and every believer is a part of it. You know, a lot of people today, they'll call uh, church buildings, you know, the house of God or, you know, the Lord's house. But you all know, right, that, that God doesn't live in buildings, right? He lives in us. He lives in people. You are his spiritual house. Peter says, you're a living stone. Now, obviously, you don't think stones of, of being alive, right? You know, the, the phrase uh, living stone, it, it's really a contradiction, right? Like jumbo shrimp. Uh, government efficiency, political ethics, right? Contradiction, okay? When you give your life to Christ and Christ comes into your life, you become a, a living building block in God's great plan. You become this, this living stone. Now think about it. If you found a stone that could talk, that was alive, it'd be worth an awful lot, right? It'd be priceless, And God says, that's you. That's your value. You know, and even think about it this way. When you build a building with stones and you take one out, we take one of those stones out, you don't say, well, you know, that's okay. It's not really important. That one stone in the building, it won't make a difference. That'd be silly. Of course it's important. Of course it matters. Of course it makes a difference. And guess what? So do you. Again, I don't care what happens in this world. You're a part of the living church of God. And you matter. You know, if if the world shuts down and we go online, or listen, it doesn't matter. You're a part. You're a necessary, important part of the family of God. That's your value. So in Christ... I'm acceptable, I'm valuable. Number three, I'm capable. I'm capable of of handling whatever happens in this world. Back to verse nine, Peter said, you're royal priest. Now, depending on your background, that can be either very uh, very scary or very confusing, right? You're a royal priest. But what Peter is saying is that the two benefits that basically priests have are now available to everyone who is a believer, Now think about it in the Old Testament. Uh, Priests generally basically did two things. First of all, they had the privilege and the responsibility of direct access to God. They could go directly to God. Everybody else had to go through them. They had direct access. Secondly, the priest had the privilege and the responsibility of representing God to the people, of serving and ministering uh, to other people. Now, What Peter is saying is that those are the very two things that are now true of you when you become a believer. One, you now have direct access to God. You don't have to pray through anybody else. You don't have to confess through anybody else. God says, you've got a direct line. You are a royal priest. You have just as much right to go before God as I do or anybody else does. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. A lot of people miss the significance of this, but the Bible actually says that when Jesus died on the cross, there was this veil in the temple that separated what was called the Holy of Holies, where God's Spirit dwelt from everybody else, from all the people. And only priests could ever go behind the the veil once a year. Now, get this. 
When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that God ripped that veil from top to bottom, about 70 feet, symbolizing there's now no more barrier. We all have direct access to God. And secondly, God says that you now have the privilege and the responsibility of serving other people. Every Christian is a minister. Now, not necessarily a pastor, but a minister, a priest. Anytime you are using your talents and your gifts and your resources to help other people, to serve other people, you are ministering. You are carrying out the duties of a priest. Nothing nothing fancy or scary or, or supernatural. It's just serving people. So if that's the understanding, if that's the definition, can you be a priest uh, in a sales office? Absolutely. Can you be a priest in, as an accountant, driving a truck, as a teacher? Yes. Anytime you are helping and serving and loving other people in the name of Christ, you're a priest. I mean, is that awesome or what? Peter's trying to remind his, his readers and us today that, listen, I know it's hard. I know times are tough. I know you've been through a difficult season. But listen, you now have direct access to God. And you get to be God's representative, serving and loving the world around you. Listen, I think we need to be reminded of that same thing, especially now. No matter what you face, no matter what you go through, no matter what this world throws at you, you have a direct access, a 24-7 direct line to God Almighty. And on top of that, you get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That never stops. Serving and loving this world back to God. Listen, that's who you are. Don't forget that. You are lovable, you are valuable, and you are acceptable. Number four, Peter also says, I'm forgivable. Forgivable. 1 Peter 2.10. Once you had no identity as, as a people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. He says you've received God's mercy. Now, some of you, even though you're believers, you think that, you know, when, when times are hard and it's difficult and um, you're having problems, that, well, you know, that's just God getting even with you. That God's trying to get back at you. Do you really think that's how God treats his children? Listen to Isaiah 43, 25. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake. And listen to this. will never think of them again. God doesn't hold a grudge. If you're in Christ, if you've received him as your Savior, the Bible says there's now no condemnation. He doesn't rub it in. He rubs it out. He doesn't rehearse it over and over. He releases it. He sets you free. You are forgiven. Man, that's good news. Ephesians 1.4, even before he made the world, God loved us, and here's that word again, chose us in Christ to be holy. And we've talked about that last week. He decided to make us holy, not based on our doing, but on Christ, and listen to this, without fault in his eyes. Wow. Now, does that mean you're never going to blow it or make mistakes? No, of course not. 
but we now stand before him covered with his love. If I receive Christ, my sins are wiped out and I'm not held accountable for them. God says, I'm not going to hold it against you. And yet some of you, even though you're Christians, you got this thought that, you know, when you get to heaven, God's going to have this great big, you know, giant screen and like all your sins, all your mistakes, everything, everything you've blown it, you know, it's all going to be shown for everybody, for the whole world to see. Oh my goodness. That's called the judgment. You know, non-believers who don't know Christ go through the judgment, but the Bible teaches that if you, if you put your trust in Christ, salvation means you have passed from death to life. You have bypassed the judgment. Man, is that great news or what? I'm covered by his love. Listen, you never, never, ever need to ask, will God love me today? Man, his love for you is consistent and unconditional. Isaiah 54, 10, for the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. Listen to this. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, and here's that phrase again, who has mercy on you. So how then should I live my life? Again, what does God say about you? He says that in Christ, you are acceptable, you are valuable, you are capable, you are forgivable. In light of that, how God sees you, how then should you live your life? Well, look at the end of verse nine on your outline. As a result, in other words, again, in light of how God sees you, he says, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his what? Wonderful light. Hope in the dark. Man, do you see what great news this is? As a believer, God is not shaking his finger at you, telling you to be good or else he won't accept you, he won't love you, he won't use you, or he won't forgive you. Listen, you can, be, you can never be good enough. But... How, does, how, God, how God sees me is not based on what I do, on what you do. It's based on what Jesus has done and whether or not you've accepted it. And once I truly accept it, what else can my response be but to want to demonstrate the goodness of God, the goodness of a loving Heavenly Father to the world around me? Man, don't you see the difference? Listen, I'm not demonstrating the goodness of God so that he will save me. No, I am demonstrating the goodness of God because he has saved me. And that is how he sees me. And so again, practically speaking, I should live my life as a demonstration of those facts, the, of the goodness of God. I no longer have to find acceptance in a relationship. In fact, God's acceptance of me has freed me forever from that bondage and then makes, listen to this, all the relationships I have so much better. I no longer have to chase after the world's toys to find value. My value is not based on what I have, what I do, what I own. It's based on whose I am and what he's done and who owns me. 
And my actions should reflect that. My attitude should reflect that. What I post on social media should affect that. My checkbook should affect that. I am capable. I am a difference maker now. I have gifts and abilities and experiences and a personality that make me one of a kind, that make me unique. And now I need to just look for ways to use them, to leverage them in the kingdom of God in this world for his glory. I no longer have an excuse of saying, I can't, I won't, I'm not. No, God Almighty has empowered me. I am a priest. I am capable to go before him and his throne in prayer. I am a, I'm able to minister to others on his behalf. And I am forgivable. And there is nothing that I have done or ever will do that can separate me from the love of God. And God knows it all. He knows our deepest, darkest secrets, and yet, he still desires to forgive you and have a relationship with you. And so practically speaking, one of the ways of, one way of living that way, of demonstrating the goodness of God, is treating other people that way. I mean, think about it. Treat other people as though they are accepted, valuable, capable, forgivable. I mean, you start walking that out in your relationships. Parents, with your children at home. Husbands and wives, with your, your spouse. In the workplace, in your neighborhood, with your friends, in the community. It will completely revolutionize your relationship. Demonstrate the goodness of God. Dr. Charles Cooley, he's one of the, he was one of the founding members of the Dean of American Sociology and later um, one of its presidents, uh, once said this. Listen to this. Your self-esteem, your self-worth or self-image is determined to a large degree, by what you think the people or the person that matters most to you thinks about you. So I want to suggest today that from here on out, you make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. Because he says, you are acceptable you are valuable, you are capable, and you are forgivable. And if you'll let that, that truth transform the way you think, it'll affect the way you feel and the way that you behave and respond and react. That's the truth. And that's what God says about you. And if you have never opened your heart to let Jesus Christ make his home, what are you waiting on? Because that's what he's ready to do in your life. I mean, stop running around chasing after what the world says about you. Listen, this is what God is ready and willing and able to do in your life right here and right now. If you will simply accept by faith what Jesus did on the cross to take you back to pay that ransom. Are you ready to come home? Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the truth of your, of your word.
May it truly transform our behavior. And God, I, I just believe and I know that right now during what has been a very difficult season for so very many people, that we need to be reminded the truth of who we are, who we still are, what you say about us in your word because of Christ, that we've been accepted, that we are so valuable, so very capable, and we are forgivable. And if you are here today and you are not yet in Christ, you've not yet opened your heart to let Christ make his home, you can do it right now. Just pour your heart out to God in a, in a prayer. And you say, dear Heavenly Father, dear loving Heavenly Father, I admit it. I have gone my own way. I'm a, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I've made mistakes. I've, I've uh, chased after what this world says about me. But today, God, I, I believe I believe what you say about me is true. I believe what your word says about Jesus is true. That he's your one and only son. And that because of your great, great love for me, you are willing to allow him to be crucified for my sin, to go to a cross for me. But death and this world and sin could not contain him. He proved his power over all of that by rising from the dead. And today he's alive. And I believe that. And so today I ask him to come into my life to forgive me and to be my Savior and my Lord. And for the rest of my days, God, I just want to become more and more like you now see me. Perfect, loved, acceptable, valuable, capable, and forgiven. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We love you and we pray this today in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.